following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. In this story, as I said, there are two groups of people, one group who found Jesus and one group who completely missed him. And I hope this morning you're here because, well, I'm sure you're here because you want to find Jesus, right? You don't want to miss him. So we're going to look at first real quickly at the group that missed him uh, and what contributed to their blindness. And then we'll look at those who found him and how they were successful. So first, the group who missed him. Uh, and this primarily would be Herod and the high priests, the priests of Israel, and the religious teachers of Israel. Um, just to read that section again, it starts off, uh, After Jesus was born in Judea in the days of Herod, behold, wise men came from Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And it says that when Herod, the king, uh, heard this, he was troubled. Uh, the word there means agitated, stirred up, in turmoil. And all Jerusalem with him. Okay? Uh, they come, these wise men, and not to wreck all the beautiful um, nativity scenes, but, but we all probably know that you know, the wise men, the Magi, came probably somewhere between a year and two years after Jesus was born. Uh, the word that's that's used here for child is not the word for a a newborn infant. It's a word that would have been used for a little child, right? So technically, this story doesn't happen right at Christmas time, but it's part of our Christmas tradition. And if you want it to be, you know, at the major scene because it's prettier, go for it. Um, And if you want the star hanging over your major scene, no problem. Uh, But but realistically, uh, it probably was a year or two later. And in fact, we know that because later when Herod seeks to kill all the children of Bethlehem, he wants to kill those two years and younger, right? So that was the time frame or the window. And these these magi, these wise men, these uh, combination uh, sorcerers and, and priests from Persia or from Babylon had seen a cosmic event in the stars. And we don't know what it was, and there's a lot of theories on comets, on alignments of planets, whatever. But they saw something in the stars that indicated to them the birth of a king to the Jews. And they come to Herod uh, seeking this king, right? And what's ironic is, you know, here's people who have been on a journey for a year or two, Right? And they are looking for this king, and they come to the capital city expecting this will be kind of common news, right? I mean, it's the birth of a king. They, surely in the capital city they would know, right? So they go to Herod, the king, and they knock on his door. And these, are, these would be you know, a very diplomatic uh, emissary from a foreign country. They would have attracted attention as they come in. Uh, these, these Babylonians, these Persians, uh, dressed differently, talking differently. And everybody said, what are, what are these guys doing here? And they say, they say, well, we're looking for the king, the new king. Where is he? Everybody's like, king? <laughs> what king? Right? And so they go to Herod, and they say, surely Herod would know. He's the guy in charge, right? He would know about the king. Uh, Herod has no idea. Uh, and it calls Herod here the king of, of, of the Jews, 
Matthew uses the words stretching it a bit. Of course, the Jews at this time in Israel was not a kingdom of anything. It was a a district in the Roman Empire. uh, And uh, Herod was was at best a governor. Uh, But Matthew uses these words because he wants to contrast a king who has usurped power and gained his power through corruption with the true legitimate heir to the throne, Jesus, right? So he uses that word a little tongue-in-cheek, a little ironically. Uh, not only was uh, Herod uh, really had no claim to the throne, he wasn't actually even fu- a full-blooded Jew. He was half Jewish, half Edomian, which means he descended from the Edomites. So in many ways, he had really no claim to power. Uh, he got there because he was a very shrewd, power-hungry politician who knew how to weasel his way into, into position and power. And um, he is, it says he is agitated, right? He is stirred up. He's in turmoil, right? This is not good news for him. Because, get the picture here, if you came to power illegally and you hold power not because you have a claim to it, what you don't want to hear about is somebody coming along who has a rightful claim to your position, right? That's bad news. And so Herod was very threatened by this. Uh, and in his pride, he was not about to bow to some other ruler, right? Uh, he would not, uh, and of course, Herod was not seeking a king. He was not seeking Jesus, didn't want to know who he was uh, because he did not want anybody competing with his hold on power over this little insignificant, worthless kingdom in the Roman uh, uh, province in the Roman Empire. Um, but Herod also represents something else that I, I think probably connects maybe with more of us. Um, Herod was also known, and it doesn't say this in the text, but the people reading the Bible in, in Jesus' day and Paul's day, New Testament time, would have known a lot about Herod. And he was actually called Herod the Great. And he was called that because he really had done some incredibly huge things in Israel at that time. He had reigned for uh, about 45 years. Uh, He actually died in about 4 B.C., so just a couple years after Jesus' birth. By the way, you know, Jesus wasn't born in the year zero, right? He was probably born in about 6 B.C. Uh, The scholars counted wrong. Uh, Herod, we know, died 4 B.C., Uh, this Herod, Herod the Great. And he was known, his reputation, even in Jesus' day, was as the, the great master builder of Judah, he was a doer. And in fact, the temple that Jesus visited often, the temple where uh, Pentecost happened, that whole complex was built by Herod. And it was an impressive structure. If you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever been able to see the, re- the remnants of the Western Wall, it is impressive. And it's just the basement, right? The, the upper floors were all destroyed, right? The temple and all that was destroyed. And he was a guy who had done huge things for God uh, and for Israel. And he was, he was a guy of enormous ambition. If he did anything, he did not do it small. He did it in the grandest possible scale. And the temple was a great illustration of that. Right? And he really represents for me the kind of guy who misses Jesus because he's too, too busy doing big things for God. Right? So busy doing big things for God, he actually misses God. Right? Uh, it's, it's great danger for, for many people. And it's very easy for us to get caught up with this mindset or men- mentality that, you know, if I'm doing stuff for God, 
God will understand if I'm too busy for Him. Right? Have you ever thought that to yourself? I have. Uh, many times, right? My first painful experience of this when it was my first decade of ministry life. I was in my 20s, and I was working at this Christian camp starting a, a new program. And I was working seriously about 80 hours a week, right? Serving God, doing big things for God. And let me tell you, when you're working that hard and putting in that many hours, the last thing you have time for is reading your Bible or prayer or any other form or version of seeking God. Right? And I thought to myself, well, God's understanding because he sees what, what cool things I'm doing for him, what big work I'm doing for him, and the important things I'm doing for him. You know, he'll be understanding. Uh, have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now, right? Where you are so busy that you tell yourself, I know I don't really read my Bible much. I know I don't really pray much. I know I don't really have time to seek God in my everyday life. But God understands because of all the cool stuff I'm doing for Him, right? Well, God is not impressed. Uh, and it's not actually what He has asked of us, right? It's interesting, Jesus says this in the book of John. Um, John chapter 6, it says, uh, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Okay? This is what God, this is the work God wants from you. Only to believe in the one he has sent. Right? That's the work God wants from you. Right? To believe in the one he has sent. To pursue and with faith grab hold of the one God sent into the world, Jesus. Right? That's our first, most foundational, important work. Anything else uh, that comes into our life apart from that relationship with Christ is wasted effort. Uh, Herod spent 40 years building this temple complex. It was finished about the time of Jesus' birth. Um, it was destroyed 77 years later, wiped completely off the face of the earth. Right? Any big work that you are doing for God, apart from seeking God, will not last. Right? It's empty and meaningless. Right? It's interesting, Jesus does say, and you will say, does that mean we're not supposed to do anything for God? Well, we are supposed to do things for God. But it always has to come out of a relationship where we have sought him and found him. And we have a relationship in faith with Christ. Later in John, Jesus says it this way. He says, I tell you the truth. Everyone who believes in me, those who have found me and put faith in me, uh, these ones will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Uh, God wants us to do things, and he wants to do great things in us and through us. But those things must never be a substitute for seeking Christ in our life. Right? Never be a substitute for seeking Christ in our life. Well, that was Herod. Uh, great picture of that, a guy who's so busy doing stuff for God that has no time. And Jesus passes right before him, and he misses him, right? He misses him. Uh, now, of course, uh, Herod is seeking Jesus, <laughs> but primarily to kill him, which actually doesn't count. Um, another group, though, uh, are the scribes and the Pharisees, who also miss Jesus. Now, of course, Herod, nobody credits Herod with any kind of spirituality. Nobody, nobody claims that you know, Herod was a spiritual giant. Uh, they all saw him as a very evil and corrupt person. 
But the, 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 the high priests, the priestly clan and the, the scribes, the religious experts of Jesus' day, uh, they should have seen Jesus, right? This is a group who should have been tuned in for the coming of the Messiah. And in fact, the Jews talked a lot about this. If you lived in, in Jerusalem at that day, a common conversation would have been, you know, when is the Messiah coming? Uh, he should be coming soon. And, uh, and, and Herod knows that this group will, will know the answers about where to find this, this Messiah, this newborn king. So they call him in, they call a council, and he says to them, uh, where are we going to find this Jesus? And uh, they answer, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it's written in the prophets. Okay, these guys don't have to look it up. They can quote it from memory, right? And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, we could probably quote it from memory as well, right? Are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. They knew the answer, right? And they tell Herod, and Herod tells the Magi, Bethlehem, that's your city, right? Uh, it was clearly prophesied. It's one of the most clear and direct prophecies in all of the Old Testament. In Micah uh, chapter 5, verse 2, spells out exactly the place where Jesus would be born. Uh, Bethlehem of Judah. Not, and there's another Bethlehem, uh, but he specifies Bethlehem of Judah, the birthplace of David, right? Because he comes from the line of David. Um, so Herod now knows where to find Jesus. This is kind of the ancient version of Google it. <laughs> You know, in those days, you're going to Google it. You ask the high priest. And they look it up in the scripture. And it says, Bethlehem, right? So here's a, here's the fascinating thing. Here's a group of guys who know the right answer, right? Who know everything there is to know in the Old Testament about the prophecies concerning Jesus when he's coming, right? And this is a group who also are supposed to be looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, and they're supposed to be excited about this, anticipating it, right? But it's interesting when it says the Magi show up and they say they're looking for this newborn king, it says Herod is agitated, that makes sense. But it says all Jerusalem with him, probably referring mostly to the ruling leader class, this group of people. They did not welcome this news, right? Uh, and there's a lot of reasons why they probably didn't um, But one reason, I think, is because they thought they knew all the answers and they had God figured out. And I'm sure they were thinking in their own mind, you know, we don't know what this rumor is, but surely if Jesus were to show up, the Messiah, we would know about it because we know all the answers, right? We've got God figured out, right? And the ironic thing is for this group, the religious experts of the day, they missed Jesus because they thought knowing stuff about God was enough. Right? They thought if we have the right theology and we can give the right answers, that is enough. And they missed Jesus as well. Right? The crazy thing in this whole story to me, I mean, you know, imagine this. You're in Jerusalem and you're one of these guys. You're a religious expert of the day. And somebody comes and they say, we saw a sign in the stars uh, announcing the birth of the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And you go, he's born in Bethlehem, right? And the the Magi, these strangers from Babylon, go to Bethlehem to find him. 
And you go home and go back to bed. Right? And you don't even give it a thought. You don't go to Bethlehem and start asking around, hey, you know, we heard this. Somebody's been born that's, like, important. You don't even care, right? Unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. And they miss Jesus, who's right under their nose, because they thought they knew all the answers. They thought they had it figured out. Uh, this ought to speak to us, right? Uh, the danger of thinking because we know all the right answers that we therefore have a relationship with Christ, that we are seeking Him. And the, the truth is, seeking answers, studying the Bible, knowing all the, the right theology and doctrine is not the same as seeking Him. Right? It's not the same as seeking Him. And there are a lot of people, just like the Pharisees, who have great theology. they got all the right answers. They know the Scriptures. They can recite the verses from memory. But they have never really found Jesus. Or maybe they found Him once a long, long time ago, and they encountered Him, and they had a salvation experience. But they've gotten so wrapped up in their theology and their truth and, and having the right answers. They have long since spent time in the presence of Jesus. I have personal experience with this one as well. You know, personal experience. I spent a lot of time studying the Bible so that I could pass the test. Not the test of teachers, but the test of debating other Christians and winning. <laughs> that was my great goal in life. Because I was going to be smarter than them, and I was going to have all the right answers. Right? And obviously, my brand of Christianity was better than their brand of Christianity. And I was going to defend it to the death. Right? And I got so caught up in that knowledge, knowing the right answers, having great theology. But I was spending zero time seeking God, seeking Christ. Right? And that's the picture here of these, these Pharisees. Right? They are zealous for their teachings. They could care less about the person it's speaking about. This is what Jesus says about them later. Jesus confronts and encounters the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. He says, uh, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old traditions? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Right? They were bothered and bent out of shape about this. Right? And Jesus says to them, You hypocrites! Okay, you actors, literally. You, you stage actors. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Amazing words. He says, you know, you talk this great talk. You got all the answers, but your hearts are a million miles away from me. Um, their worship is false. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. You ignore God's laws and substitute your own traditions, your own teachings. Right? You're so proud of your teachings and what you know, but it has caused you to miss God and be a million miles away from Him. Um, that would be a tragic error. So two big errors of people who miss them. One, they were too busy for God. Two, uh, they knew all the right answers. We're seeking information, but not seeking Christ. Right? 
Those things will not get you into the presence of Jesus. Uh, but what will? Well, here's this group of, uh, of magi, these wise men from a faraway country who uh, find Jesus, right? Who encounter him. Um, and it says that, you know, they had seen his star and they come to Jerusalem asking about him. And they are seeking him. So if we want to find Jesus, how do we do it? Well, first, most obviously and simply, you have to be looking for him, right? You've got to be looking for him. If you're not looking for Jesus, you're not going to find him. Uh, the, the Magi found him, first of all, because they were looking. They were on a journey seeking after him. And they had come from a very great distance in order to do that. Uh, they were interested in who Jesus was, and they wanted to find him. Um, you know, one of the whole points of Christmas and of this story is that people often miss him because they're just clueless to his presence. Uh, here, the Jews who should have been earnestly seeking after Jesus missed him, and not just at his birth, but as he went in and out of the temple, as he grew up, uh, often as he began teaching, as he became a very public figure. Even then, they didn't see him for who he really was because they really weren't looking for him. The fact that these religious experts went back to bed instead of going to Bethlehem is proof that they really weren't looking for the Messiah. Whatever they talked about, they weren't seeking him. And the simple truth is, if you're not looking for something, it's really super easy to walk right by it. Uh, Several years ago, I think we'd been here for maybe three years, and uh, our daughter and her husband surprised us by flying to Thailand. Uh, they didn't tell us, right? They just kind of showed up. And they, they staged this very elaborate thing at the, the Westin Hotel, Holiday Inn now, where they, um, they told our other daughter, who was in on this, told us that we had won a dinner there, right? So one Sunday after church, we go over there to collect our dinner we won. And uh, we walk into the lobby there, and my one daughter was, was sitting there uh, on this couch. Uh, she was going to meet us for lunch, so we, we go over, and I said, Hi, Kara. And laying down on the couch next to her is this little child, right, who looks amazingly like my granddaughter, right? And I look at her, and I pretty much look right past her. I said, Kara, whose kid do you have, you know? Well, it was my granddaughter, Right? And just about then, my daughter and son-in-law come around the corner, and I about, you know, have a heart attack, right? And it's crazy how I could see her, and, you know, I hadn't seen her often, but I'd seen pictures. I mean, I, I recognized her. But because that's not who I was looking for, I looked right past her, right? I looked right past her. How many people, because they're not looking for Jesus in their everyday life, or not really looking for him in Scripture, not really looking to find him, walk by him every day? And they don't see him, right? They don't see him. We've got to be looking for him. We have to be seeking him. Are we intentionally seeking to find Jesus every day of our life? To pursue him. To come upon him, right? As the Magi did. Uh, Second thing that they did successfully, first they were looking. Secondly, uh, it says in verse 7, Herod summoned the wise men secretly to find out from them at what time the star had appeared. Right? This was important news for him. Um, and as I said, 
a year or two before, they had seen this convergence in the stars, right? something that, that spoke to them, that meant something to them about uh, a king being born. Uh, the star, just so you know, the star didn't lead them from Babylon to Jerusalem. Okay? The, the Bible does not say that. It says they saw something appeared in the sky, the rising of some, uh, some star, some configuration, that, that signaled to them a king was born. So they traveled to Jerusalem. They're not following the star to Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, and they show up, and, and the event that they saw is two years gone by. So whatever planets or whatever stars lined up, whatever comets flew by or whatever, long gone. Okay? But they, they get to Jerusalem. The, the star leads them to the capital, which is where you would look for the birth of a king. Right? So they go there. Uh, and and uh, you know, Herod says, Go search diligently for the child when you found him. Bring him so I can worship him too, or kill him, whichever I happen to be in the mood for that day. Uh, so they listen. Um, after listening to the king, they go on their way. And behold, now the star that they had seen in the, before, the star now appears again. Okay? The star appears, uh, the one that they had seen before. And it leads them and goes before them until it comes to rest over the place where the child was. This is amazing. Okay? So this star... and if, if you, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is about a five-mile walk. Okay, you can stand at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and you can look, and you can basically see Bethlehem. It's that close, and for sure, the other direction from Bethlehem, you can look up and see the Temple Mount. Okay, they're within eyesight, uh, and so they see the star, and it leads them down the path, down the trail to to Bethlehem, and leads them right exactly to the house where Jesus is. Okay. And then it says that when uh, they saw the star again, okay, they see it again after not seeing it for a couple of years, they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Okay, you can imagine, these guys are excited. The star personally directs them, uh, you know, from Google to Google Maps, right? It just follows them right there. Little, little pin right over the house. This is it. Um, and going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and get this, they fall down on their knees and they worshiped him. They fall down on their knees. Okay, these are dignitaries. Um, well, a lot of our Christmas tradition maybe is not accurate. One thing that is accurate is that these guys probably were dressed quite royally. Okay, I don't know if they were crowns. They weren't kings, but they would have been an impressive sight. Right? They come in carrying chests, literally, of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Right? Probably not little boxes, probably chests. Right? And they're clunking down these huge chests. Right? And Mary and Joseph are like, whoa, buddy. <laughs> right? who, who are these guys? Right? And in all their pomp and in all their ceremony, all their regal splendor, when they see Jesus, they drop to their knees. And it says they worship him. It's an interesting word that's used for worship, not a common word. And it's a word that in the Persian context would have, would have indicated somebody who fell to their knees and bowed with their face and touched their forehead to the ground, right? To pay homage to a king, right? Uh, incredibly humble posture for these great and mighty noblemen who fall down before Jesus, right? And they worship him. They give him these incredibly valuable treasures. And they honor him as a great 
royal king. Um, Not only were they seeking Jesus, but they were seeking him with a very specific purpose. They were seeking him, it says, so that they could worship him. So they could bow before him and honor him as a king. If you want to find Jesus, you have to seek him. But you have to seek him with the right motive. And the motive, the only motive that works is to worship him. Is to give him honor and glory. See, the truth is there's a lot of people who are seeking Jesus because they see in Jesus a solution to all their problems. And they worship him because they want him to help, or they seek him because they want him to fix their life, right? Now, for all of us, that's probably how we first came to Christ, right? We saw our need, we saw our spiritual weakness, we saw our sin, and we saw Jesus because we wanted him to fix our life. Uh, And that's probably okay to start there. But that's never, that's only the beginning point, it can never be the end point. Uh, If the only reason we ever seek Jesus is so he can fix us, for what he can do for us or what we can get out of him, we're never going to really discover him fully. We have to have the motive of giving him worship. That we seek him to honor him, to praise him, to worship him. Because he is worthy as king of all kings of, of of our worship, of our life to come before him in humility, bow down, fall down before him, and in humility, honor him. Uh, it's interesting, if you've worked much in this area with different people groups, uh, you've probably seen this, our church planting stuff we're doing down in uh, Isan, Thailand. We just found out a month or so ago that several of our house churches have abandoned ship, and they've, they've switched to a, another group. And I won't name the group, but they switched to another group because this group is going to give them money, right? And they like that. We weren't giving them money, so they're going where the money is, right? And uh, with a lot of groups in this area, we've had similar experiences like that. Uh, well, we'll be part of your group. We'll, we'll, we'll take the Jesus you give until the group who has a, a, a Jesus that gives more money will follow them, right? Uh, You'll never, really, you'll never really find Jesus if that's all you're after, right? What Jesus can, how Jesus can meet your selfish needs. Ultimately, if you want to find him, we have to go purely because we want to honor and glorify him and worship him. And ultimately, because we want to give him our best treasures, right? Uh, this morning, if Jesus came... If, if, you, if you had the opportunity to give Jesus your best treasure, what would you give him? Right? What would you give him? What is precious to you that you would lay at his feet? Um, you know, probably some of the most precious things we have is not our money or our material possessions. Um, we can give those. Uh, but it really is our heart, right? Our affection, our time, our devotion our very life, right? Those are the things that he wants from us. A heart that loves him and is close to him. Uh, So those two requirements are in place if you want to seek Jesus. You need to seek him, pursue him with, with great intention. Jesus, I want to find you. I don't want to just know lots of stuff about you. I want to meet you. 
I want to encounter you in my life. And I want to do that ultimately because I long to worship you. There's one last element I want to cover real quickly. Um, These guys didn't get there, even though they were looking for him on their own. They had help along the way. And just as they had help, we need the same help. No matter how determined you are, you cannot find Jesus on your own. You need his help. And the reality is, these guys came because God revealed something to them, right? God sent them a message that they could read and understand that said, something huge has happened. What will you do with that? And that's true for all of us. Uh, We don't initiate contact with God. God does. God takes the first step in that he reveals something of himself to us, and then we respond with what we're going to do with that revelation. And in this passage, God reveals himself in three ways to these these wise men, these magi. And real quickly, uh, uh, God guided them first by creation, by the star, right? Um, And again, I don't know what that was or what it looked like, um, but God uh, gave them the star. Um, He gave them a sign in creation. Um, And it's not surprising that God would do that. Notice what God says, what Scripture says in Psalms 19. Uh, It says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, and night after night they make Him known. They speak without a word or sound. Their voice is never heard, and yet their message has gone out throughout the earth and their words to all the world. It's not surprising that God would announce the greatest event of history, His act of coming to earth to be with us and to save us, that He would mark it in the stars. Uh, And these guys happened to be looking at the stars to see it. They were tuned into God's general revelation in creation. Um, there's a lot I'd like to say about that, but I can't this morning, some other day, about why we, why we miss God's revelation in creation. But the truth is, God does reveal himself in all that he has created, right? And we should be tuned into that. And Romans uh, essentially says the same thing, that God's first revelation to us is in creation. For those who respond to that revelation, God will give other revelation. And that's certainly true for the, the Magi. They see this sign in the stars, and they really take a great act of faith to act on what they have seen, right? Now think about this. You go out one night in the the stars, and you see some planet pass by some other planet and intersect with this whatever, and you go, oh, you know, I think that means a king has been born. And so you go back home, and you tell your wife, I'm going on a journey. I'll be gone for a couple of years, you know. You pack up the chest full of gold, throw it on the camel, and you take a one-year journey through the desert to confirm that what you saw is true. Is that an act of faith? That's an act of faith. Way more faith than I would have by what I see in the stars, right? But they acted in faith on what they saw, and they took steps, right? They get to Jerusalem. Okay, that's as far as they know. They get to Jerusalem, and now they're out of information. And they need now further revelation from God. Uh, The star's gone. They don't know where to go next. They start asking questions. And God gives them a second piece of revelation. And what is it? What's the revelation of Scripture, right? The the revelation of God's Word. 
Uh, and it comes through these religious experts who know the word, even though they don't actually believe it, right? Who don't have faith to act on it. But these guys do. He says, go to Bethlehem. You'll find him there. And so what do they do? They, in faith, take steps and go to Bethlehem, right? So they get revelation from creation, and as they respond to that, God gives them additional special revelation of Scripture. And when they act on it in faith, they set out for Jerusalem, for, from Jerusalem, for Bethlehem. And they get a third piece of revelation, and this one is the best of all. They get a supernatural guide, right? Because this star is clearly not just a natural star, okay? This star is now no longer some convergence of planets up in the heavens, okay? This is a star that's close enough to lead them specifically to the house where Jesus is. It is divine, supernatural leading. Okay, God says, follow me, right? The bellboy, right? Follow me. And he takes them and leads them directly exactly to where Jesus is, right? And they, they identify this supernatural leading because it says they respond with exceedingly superabundant, mega great joy, right? And, and Matthew can't put together enough uh, adjectives, <laughs> big words, uh, to express how excited they are. They are overwhelmed with joy that God did not let them get lost, but he sent a supernatural guide to bring them to their final destination. They were thrilled. They were thrilled, right? And I'll tell you, in the journey to Christ, when we take the revelation God gives and we act on it in faith and we take steps towards him as God reveals truth, right? We will never get there until God sends his supernatural guide. Uh, and he does that. Okay, Even the scripture in itself, if you have all the Bible, and this is why the Pharisees couldn't do this, because they wouldn't act on the scripture they had, God did not send a supernatural guide and they had no clue. You can read the Bible all day long, but until God gives you supernatural guidance, it will not bring you to Jesus. What is our supernatural guide? The Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, John 16 says this. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, there's so much more I want to tell you but you can't take it all in now. When the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you. A supernatural guide who takes us to understand fully where we can find Jesus. He will not speak on His own, but He will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you what He receives from me. Okay, every one of us, when we put our faith in Christ, we are sent the Holy Spirit who is our supernatural guide. Right? And He will take Scripture and He will take the revelation of creation and general revelation and He will personally guide us to Christ if we will follow Him. If we will step out in faith and follow His leading to Christ so that we can worship Him, so that we can know Him. Right? And there is something really cool about that experience. Right? Now, it doesn't happen all the time that way. I, I wish it did. But have you ever had that experience where God spoke to you through his word? And it wasn't just generic in general. It was very personal and specific. Right? And it's like an arrow just shoots through you. And I remember the, one of the first times uh, I, I had that experience. I was reading uh, the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is My Shepherd. Right? 
And uh, I'd read that, I'd memorized it, I could quote it, right? But I was reading through the 23rd Psalm, and God shot me with this arrow that said, Hello, Tim, by the way, I'm your shepherd. I'm trying to shepherd you. Don't you get it? I'm like, oh, me? Me personally? Yeah. I'm trying to shepherd you. Would you follow me, right? Follow me. I want to lead you to green pastures. I want to take you where there is still waters. I want to refresh your soul. Okay, follow me. And it wasn't just scripture. It was God speaking to me. It was the Holy Spirit leading me to God's presence. And I was stunned and shocked, right? And afterward, I was filled with this exceeding joy. God's calling me to himself, right? Uh, the, the, the Magi experienced that, right? And there was other guidance as well. And it's not that God only guides us to Christ. Uh, at the end of the story, a messenger comes and says, don't go back to Herod, okay? He's, he's bad news. Go home another way. God continued guiding them in their lives in very personal and direct ways. But that was only possible because they had encountered Christ. And they learned what it meant to follow the signs follow the star, follow the revelation to the person of Jesus Christ. Um, You know, it's so easy in our Christian life to get caught up in in doing stuff for God and knowing the right answers and and going through the motions, right? That we can be kind of clueless to how far our hearts have drifted away from Christ. And, and what, what Jesus says to the Pharisees, could, he could say to many of us sometimes, you, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Right? You're not living in my presence. You know, I've never talked to somebody who, who's really walking with Christ, who's, who's at the feet of Jesus, living in worship, following him, you know, whose, whose life is collapsing inwardly. Sometimes outwardly, right? Sometimes hard things come. But there is a joy and a confidence in life when we know we are living in God's presence. And everything is right, right? When we are in that place where we have been led to the feet of Jesus and we live our life in worship to him, we, we are near him and we know that our hearts are near his heart. And and I would just ask to check your heart this morning. Are you pursuing Christ, right? Have you let life derail you, right? Have you let the craziness of activity and service and ministry and whatever actually get in the way of the most important thing of all, of being with Jesus and in his presence? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.